What's up, guys? I want to give a shout out to all the people that have been listening to the podcast for the last two full years, actually three full years. And I also want to give a shout out to all the new people who have been listening for the last couple weeks. Our numbers are consistently growing by dozens every single week. And I just want to give a huge shout out to all the new listeners out there. If you like the podcast, if you're enjoying the content, please subscribe, leave a review, share with a friend or family member. Now right to the episode. How's your day going so far? Oh, it's going well. It's going really well. It's uh, it's uh, starting to kind of wind down work-wise, you know, with the holidays and everything. So, yeah, a little bit of a little bit of extra time. Absolutely. Well, I know you're uh, you're super busy, so we're gonna jump right into it. Um, first things first, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to hop on this podcast today. I actually reached out to your team back in 2020 to have you as a guest. They said Ben's too busy. Your podcast isn't big enough right now. I said, completely understand. I, I was like, completely understand. Maybe in the future, we'll be able to reconnect and the stars will align. Well, since then, my podcast has quadrupled in viewers. And this is the biggest month we've ever had as far as listenership. So uh, if that's not manifestation, I don't know what is. So Amazing. thank you so much for, uh, yeah, thank you so much for hopping on the podcast today. Uh, my podcast, this is the Life Coach Zach podcast. I'm a certified life coach, certified nutritionist. I talk all things ultra health and wellness from mental health to physical health to diet uh, to addiction and things like that. And you are the epitome of the type of guest I want to have on this podcast. So to all my viewers, all my people that are listening on Audible Podcast, Spotify, wherever you choose to listen, my guest today, very special guest, Ben Greenfield. He is a, a biohacker, 13-time New York Times bestselling author. And I'm just glad to have you. How you doing today, Ben? Hey, I'm pretty good. You you just get me excited with that intro alone, man. I tell you, pretty passionate about this. <laughs> Absolutely. So, uh, if you're just listening, you're not watching on YouTube. Ben is uh, walking on the treadmill right now. Ben, tell me, tell us a little bit about what you're focused on right now. What are some of your goals? What do you got on the uh, the short term calendar, and what are you working towards right now? I think you just asked me five questions, dude. Uh, so let me figure out which one I want to reply to. Uh, well, you know, I, I did, I'm, I guess I'm pretty excited because I just, uh, released a book on, on parenting and beyond parenting, just, you know, it's family, legacy, discipline, education, alternative education, which I've been working on for the past couple of years. So that's been a super duper fun project. I, I have twin sons who are 14 and so I never really felt like qualified to write a parenting book because I haven't yet demonstrated that they're not going to wind up in prison or whatever but I crowdsourced the book me and kind of like Tools of Titans or Tribe of Mentors like I interviewed all these amazing parents from all over the world like pastors and entrepreneurs and uh, psychologists and parenting experts and I literally it was all fresh in my mind because I just got the book like hot off the press two days ago. Uh, my publishing manager actually brought it over for my birthday. So pretty excited. And um, yeah, it's like 650 pages of just like amazing content for for parents, for teachers, for grandparents, for educators, for anybody who's, who's got kids, you know, from K all the way up through college. So yeah, it's, it, was, it was a super fun project. So that's really like the the main the main thing right now. Amazing. And and I'm a part of your uh, virtual book tour, I guess. I guess I guess as of now, yeah, we officially made it happen, man. Welcome to the book tour. <laughs> Amazing. 
Love it, dude. So I'm going to ask you a couple questions here. Uh, the first question as a biohacker, not a lot of people know what biohacking is. Obviously, in your sphere and in my sphere, it's something we talk about pretty consistently. But can you explain in Lehman terms to someone who really doesn't understand biohacking what biohacking is? Oh, well, it's kind of funny because like originally biohacking, you know, we're talking like 25 years ago, what was really like this underground fringe thing where you literally had people who called their body wetware and then they'd like modify their body using hardware. So we're talking about, you know, like, like Kevin Warwick, who was the original cyborg who had like, you know, magnetic implants put into his fingertips to be able to interact with screens, kind of like, you know, Tom Cruise and Minority Report, where there was a dude who like had uh, chlorophyll injected into his eyeballs so that he could have night vision. Or um, there's uh, another company that was installing like compasses in people's chests that would vibrate every time they faced true north, you know, magnetic implants in the ears for like hearing at long distances or being able to pick up pitches that the human ear couldn't normally pick up. And like, in my opinion, that's, that's like biohacking, right? Cause, cause you literally are like hacking biology with some type of technology to enhance the function of the human body or brain. Uh, obviously kind of dangerous kind of fringe. And, and then, I mean, you could kind of argue that a lot of the old school bodybuilders or, or kind of like the, the fitness folks who would take the body way beyond what the body would naturally be able to look like. Right. We're also kind of, kind of, of biohackers, meaning that, you know, steroids, injections, you know, peptides, you know, oils, all the things you put into the body to push it beyond what it'd normally be able to do. That's, that's also kind of, kind of a hack. But nowadays, biohacking, the phrase has kind of evolved to just like using any type of nutrition or dietary or fitness modality to kind of like get the body to achieve something in a shorter period of time than you might normally otherwise be able to achieve it. Or to kind of like upgrade the body in some way that that you might not be able to to naturally do like i don't know you know everything from like putting butter in coffee to allow the the you know cognitive enhancing properties of coffee to cross into the brain more easily or like putting like right beside me here i got like a red light panel in my office allow me to like simulate sunlight yeah you have one too exactly so you can like simulate sunlight when you're in your home or, you know, like standing on a grounding mat or whatever, even like, you know, people would say me walking on a treadmill on talking to you would be considered as, you know, a biohack. So, you know, it's, it's kind of a, kind of a loosey goosey term now, but it's basically, in my opinion, using, using some form of technology to enhance or upgrade one's biology. I think that's probably one of the best descriptions of it. Oh, right. well, I should ask you, I guess we, we can't edit this out. We can't edit this out. But I need to adjust a little cable in my office because it's kind of funny. My headphones are actually shocking me right now. Do what you got to do. No worries, no stress. Give me one second here. It's actually never happened before. This is a, this is a first. So just to go biohacking, hopefully my, my whole head doesn't explode and start on fire. That's really weird. All right. Well, if it keeps happening, I'll just switch to a different set of headphones. <laughs> yeah, no, no worries, no stress at all. Yeah. 
Cool, man. Yeah, so biohacking. Yeah. So what? let me ask you this, actually. What inspired you to double down on biohacking? Well, I can't say that I will think I've, I've doubled down on biohacking as much as, like, well, here I'll be, it might be kind of a long answer to this question, but I have always been really intellectually driven, right? Like, I was homeschooled K through 12. I kind of grew up thinking outside the box and finding creative solutions to problems and was also as, as part of being very intellectually driven, super into just like geeking out on everything from, um, you know, technology to physiology to, to science, biology, chemistry. So when I got to college, I basically began to take the pre-med route and, uh, you know, studied all these advanced, you know, chemistry and biology and biochemistry and microbiology courses. And although I, I wound up deciding that I didn't want to go to medical school and I kind of wanted to stay in the fitness sector because I was really enjoying like running gyms and personal training studios and training clients and things like that. I, um, I began to implement a lot of these technologies that I'd learned while training for medicine into my fitness practice. And so you came to be personally trained by me. It was like high speed video cameras and like gas masks that you'd wear for indirect calorimetry to measure how many calories you were burning. Uh, I, I had all, all like the blood testing equipment. My partners at all my gyms were physicians. So I had access to all these kind of cool modalities that one might consider to be, you know, biohacking modalities. So for me, it was like, I was super interested early on in the day before biohacking really became that popular of a thing or much of a household name, I was really into using as many tools as possible to get results with my clients. And of course, you know, I use a lot of this stuff on myself too. You know, everything from like, you know, supplements and dietary modifications to, you know, cameras to analyze gait to blood testing and, you know, early, early days of self-quantification and wearables. You know, when I raced Ironman, which was kind of like my big sport for like a decade. I raced for Team Timex. And so Timex would make us all these like computers and wearables and wristwatches for power and speed and, you know, force and time. And so basically it, uh, it, it's just something that's kind of, kind of evolved over the years. This, this, this merging of my interest in technology, my interest in some of the more advanced forms of nutrition, my interest in self-quantification and my interest in fitness and just kind of all mashed up into my own little flavor of, of biohacking all right so question for you what's the weirdest biohack you've ever tried oh the weirdest biohack i've ever tried oh man i mean like the so i got a lot of flack a few years ago when i injected stem cells into my dick like that was something that you know obviously just like the controversial nature of it or whatever it was, and people think that was super fringe, but I don't just cowboy stuff and like throw needles into my body without doing a little bit of research beforehand. Obviously, you know, my wife would super freak out if I was just injecting random things into my genitals. Um, and so what happened was men's health had wanted me to do a big story on all the things that a guy could do to enhance his sexual performance or libido. So they had me like trying out everything from gas station dick pills to no ejaculation for a month to like shockwave therapy for the balls to um 
uh, like, you know, digital penis pumps, all, all sorts of crazy stuff. But, you know, the, the editor over there, he was like, well, what if we do like the stem cell thing? Because I've heard some people have done stem cells to enhance size or erection quality or firmness or whatever. So I'm like, yeah, I don't know. So I looked into it. It turns out like it actually was a thing in medicine for like a decade for men with erectile dysfunction, what's called Peyronie's disease, which is like an abnormal curvature of the penis. And so this all obviously been done in medicine for a while. So I'm like, okay, well, but takes an unhealthy guy and helps to make him healthy. Maybe I'll just take a healthy guy, you know, because I didn't really have droopy dick or anything like that. But I thought maybe if, if a healthy guy does it, it could be good for the for the magazine article because it could maybe take you from good to great. And so I had my stem, it was like a six month process, right? Because I had to have my stem cells like harvested out of the fat in my back tissue, which was basically like liposuction. And that was incredibly painful because I'm a skinny guy. And so they had to just like go in and out with a needle over and over again to get the fat out. And then they had to take the fat cells and like isolate the stem cells or grow the stem cells. So they had a high, what's called mesenchymal stem cell count. And then they had to ship those up to a doctor up here in Spokane, Washington, where I live. And then I went to the doctor's office and they had to inject my penis with all these like numbing um, agents. And then after that, they did the injection of the stem cells. And so my dick was like black and blue for almost a week. And again, as you can imagine, also my wife was freaking out. She was like, oh my gosh, what did you just do to your, to your, <laughs> to your package? And so long story short is it actually seemed to really enhance like sexual performance and size and libido. I mean, so much so that I've done it twice since then. And, um, I think probably like, you know, of, of anything I've done that that'd be the most like interesting slash controversial slash possibly edgy, but I did look into it a lot before I had it done to see if it was like an actual medical protocol that was proven by medicine. So I, I try not to cowboy too much on my body just because I mean, you know, God put me on the planet to, to help people out in a certain way. And I'd be irresponsible if I was just like, you know, killing brain cells or I don't know, right. fre freezing off my genitals or something like that. Agreed. Yeah. You're uh, you're, you're making a positive impact on millions of people's lives. So with that being said, what's the simplest biohack? that makes the biggest difference for anybody that's on a budget or, you know, maybe just one thing that goes unnoticed. Simplest oh. biohack. Oh yeah. Well, I'm going to cheat and like, kind of like put a few together, but this is what I do with my kids. Um, all winter long, we do it three times a week during the summer. We do it quite often too. Um, it's, it's basically, What's up, guys? If you are enjoying the content on my podcast and you want to learn more about how you can level up, about how you can be a better person, and how you can have an accountability coach to guide you through the entire process, head over to lifecoachzack.com, schedule a free 15-minute consultation. I'm happy to answer any questions you have and take you through the process of what it would be like to work with Life Coach Zach. I got a couple spots open between now and the end of 2022, or you can register for your spot in 2023. Head over to lifecoachzack.com. Now back to the episode. One of the best ways on the planet to increase stress resilience, to, uh, to teach you how to tweak your physiology for free, 
to, to burn fat, to build different proteins to help to protect the cells. And basically it's heat, breath, work, and cold. Heat, breath, work, and cold. Um, and that means like we're in the sauna. We use, we like an app. There's an app called Other Ship I really like right now. And it's got like anywhere from two up to 60 minute breath work sessions on it. And so we climb into the sauna, me and my sons, and we get it nice and hot. And typically our sweet spot is like 15 to 30 minutes of breath work. Even though like once or twice a month, we do the full hour long breath work session, which is just crazy in terms of what it seems to do to, um, to your, to your mind, right? It's almost as though you've taken, you know, inhaled DMT or something like that, as far as like all the flashes of color and kind of like the openness to the universe and the spiritual connection. Uh, but, but we do that deep sweat in the sun with breath work. And then we do cold, like cold therapy. And, you know, I was just in Florida. I didn't have a sauna, but I just sat on the front porch every morning, 15 to 30 minutes of breath work, took off the shoes, went for a walk, came back, did the cold shower. So some form of like breath work and heat or breath work and nature, and then finishing with cold. Like it's pretty hard to not feel amazing the rest of the day and to not generally see like a shift in a lot of really beneficial health parameters with breathwork heat and cold, or we could just say like breathwork nature and cold if you don't have access to a sauna. Great. Love that. Okay, cool. Love that. So uh, next question, would you consider meditation a biohack? Is it changing your biology? Is meditation something that you do? Is it something that you recommend to people? Tell us more about meditation and biohack and bridge that gap for us. Well, I mean, again, like, with my definition of biohack really being using like a technology to enhance your biology. True. I think yeah. if you look at stuff like, I don't know, meditation or hoisting kettlebells or getting out in the sunshine or grounding or earthing, that's just like healthy living, right? It's not, it's not biohacking per se. So I don't consider it to be a biohack, but yeah, I mean, obviously anybody can hop on PubMed and do a look at meditation and what it does to brain waves and, stress and longevity and even like telomeres so yeah i um i am a fan of meditation but and this might kind of make it a little more relevant to the biohacking piece i actually do like to meditate with technology um i like one unit called a brain tap it's like a light and sound stimulation machine like a headset that you wear that shifts you into this like theta brainwave state super fast almost like self-hypnotizes you there's sessions that last anywhere from you know five minutes to an hour on that thing it's probably one of my favorite ways to get into a really deep state of meditation but just like in the middle of the day when i have 20 minutes after lunch or whatever um i also like the muse headband you know got, sense yeah it does eeg sensing i'll set your brainwaves and and basically allows you to quantify your meditation. Uh, I even like, and I would consider this to be biohacking because you're using technology to do it. I like some of the phone apps for meditation. Probably my favorite one right now. It's super cool. It's called Sync Tuition, S-Y-N-C Tuition. And it's like these 20 to 25 minute, they call them journeys. And they each have a specific Love that word. theme. They have a theme like, joy or purpose or balance or relaxation or whatever. And 
you know, a lot of people these days will use whatever psilocybin or ayahuasca or DMT or different forms of plant medicine to kind of shift their consciousness. And I've, I've used some of those things in the past. And I think that comparatively using, using an app like that, that just uses sound and breath to shift your state in a similar way, but without leaving a bunch of molecules flowing around your bloodstream or leaving you feeling like the crash afterwards or depleted or exhausted mm -hmm. or whatever. Like it actually works remarkably well. Like you feel like you've had some kind of like a love that miniature journey and sure. Um, and yeah, so, so I do like meditation. I do like to tie technology to meditation too. Right. Love that answer. Yeah. I've been, uh, for all the people that have been listening to me and following me for a while, they know I'm really big into meditation and how important it's been for my mental health and how it allows me to become more aware of my thoughts. And I, and I stay more hyper-focused on the task at hand and, um, I've been doing transcendental meditation since 2019, been meditating yeah. since 2017, but I just, I wanted to get from the, you know, from the horse's mouth. I want to hear it from your mouth, uh, what you thought of meditation and that pretty much yeah. just solidified all now, my now, assumptions for you with TM. Cause I've, I've done a TM course before, you know, the gold standard is twice a day for 20 minutes. Are you, are you taking off that big of a chunk of TM or are you just kind of like doing it a few times a week or how do you do it? I'm not. So I'm, I do it every single day, 20 minutes in the morning. Uh, okay. pretty much after I wake up, as soon as I wake up, I drink a huge glass of water, usually take a piss, sit down, meditate for 20 minutes. Okay. Um, and then in the afternoon, I try to drop into a 10 minute meditation, but you know, I'm super busy. We're all super busy. Not that that's an excuse by any means, but, uh, I feel like as long as I'm getting my 20 minute meditation in, I get the result. However, if I, I feel like I've plateaued though, in the sense that the more meditation doesn't mean the more focused I'm going to get and the more results. Law of diminishing returns, right? You can only do so much until the input you put out, it doesn't really, you get the return on the output. However, if I don't meditate and I do, and I skip my meditation practice, I see a difference uh, throughout my day. Yeah. Yeah. I get that. And then, you know, I count, I count breath work as meditation too. I think you get a very similar brainwave response and as long as you have times during the breath work when you're really um, kind of like connecting to self, especially in the silence of the long inhale holds and the long exhale holds, I think you still get a, a meditative effect from breath work too. And I kind of like it also just because it's a little bit more in, involved and invigorating. Some people will consider exercise to be like moving meditation, but sometimes there's too much going on with exercise. I do think you can do like meditative walks but I, I think that breath work is kind of the sweet spot because you're moving the body a little bit. You know, you're definitely tweaking your physiology and you're getting that, that meditation effect at the same time. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you. All right. So I got like two, three more questions. Then I'm going to do a spitfire, a little quick game with you. So we got about like five, seven to 10 more minutes. Um, yeah. All right. Question. How scared should we be of EMF radiation? And what are some ways that non-biohackers can defend against this type of radiation? Well, I don't think, I, you know, I, I think scared is a difficult verb because I don't really like to live my life in a spirit of fear. But I think we should take seriously the potential impact that uh, electromagnetic radiation or forms of electricity that the human body hasn't evolved to be able to adapt to. Uh, we, we should take that kind of seriously because we know that these really, really high like gigahertz signals and also like the, the heat and the radio frequency emitted by 
you know, cell phones or cell phone towers, you know, and then the high hertz signals that are like a square waveform. That's not a form of waveform that we find in, in nature that are emitted by like, you know, Wi-Fi routers, for example. Those cause not only heating of tissue, especially if the devices are up near the head, which is a little bit concerning and probably why if you look at the label of your phone carefully, it says keep it away from the head. Um, so the, the heating of the tissue, that could have some carcinogenic or tissue damaging potential. But then you also get this influx of calcium into the cell. And if you understand that all the cells in your body are supposed to have like a kind of kind of like a, a more um, positive charge on the inside, a little bit of negative charge on the outside. Um, once you get that calcium influx into the cell, it kind of disrupts that electrochemical potential. So stuff doesn't move in and out of the cell as well. So you can get kind of like brain fog, a little bit of a sluggish metabolism, you know, feeling of low energy, sometimes a disruption of sleep. And so there are ways around that. I mean, you know, like supplementing with magnesium or doing like earthing and grounding to restore the voltage back to its potential. Uh, love that. Um, you know, there are cellular- or Like using wired phones, cause everyone's wearing Bluetooth yeah. uh, ear, ear pods these days, right? Yeah, Bluetooth isn't as much of a problem. I would say it's like lower down in the totem pole of concern, but a, oh, okay. you know, for somebody who's just like walking around all day with a Bluetooth signal, yeah, the main thing with Bluetooth is it's shown to cause a little bit of like a cell clumping, like a red blood cell clumping, which again can impact oxygen distribution throughout the body. So I think that, if, if anything, you should, when you don't need to be using it, have Wi-Fi and Bluetooth off or even like hardwire into the wall if you have an Ethernet router or an Ethernet yeah. cable. Um, you should use head like wired headsets or there's another form of headset called the air tube headset where the air, though the sound travels in air rather than through wires. Uh, Interesting. And, you know, and then I think that the one time that your central nervous system repairs and recovers from a lot of the electricity is when you're sleeping. So if you're going to do anything, like at least go through your bedroom and you know, don't have the Wi-Fi router in your bedroom. Don't have a lot of appliances like televisions and computers in there. You know, you could go to websites like lessemf.com and shop around for things like dirty electricity filters and things you can do in your bedroom. So I would say if there's anything you're going to do, even if you've got no options at the office or, or elsewhere, like protect your bedroom as heavily as you can, because if you're in there, you know, for arguably around a third of your life, which you should be sleeping, then that's giving your body a chance to repair and recover. So I think that a lot of people could protect their sleeping space a little bit better. And that would make a lot of the other spaces that you don't have control over potentially less damaging from an electrical standpoint. Smart. Okay. So to all those people uh, listening out there, you know, it's not something to be scared of, but be aware of how much yeah. EMF radiation you could be consuming. Yeah, exactly. Okay, great. All right, so now we're going to play a little game as we uh, wrap up this podcast today. Now, I'm just going to say a word or a phrase, and you're going to say good, great, or bad, or just say neutral, undecided, okay? And you're going to kind of figure it out as we go on, okay? Marijuana, good, bad, or undecided? Uh, neutral. Okay. Can you elaborate a little bit on that? Yeah. So, you know, a lot of the non-psychoactive components of cannabis have some pretty good anti-inflammatory and, and like sleep and relaxation enhancing effects. And 
even THC containing components of cannabis can have an even greater pain killing effect and in smaller responsible amounts for for creative artists and you know authors and people who want a little boost of creativity can impact the brain in such a way that, that you can increase creativity so there's a time and a place but then at the same time especially the higher thc components of cannabis cause uh free radical leakage and mitochondrial damage specifically in the brain which is probably why you see a lot of evidence that people who use marijuana, especially at an earlier age, they see some loss of brain cells, some loss of gray matter, and you know things like impacts in memory. Uh, before sleep, THC seems to really disrupt deep sleep, which is where a lot mm -hmm. of learning and memory consolidation takes place. And so I don't want to like stereotype or paint with too broad a brush, but people who use THC-containing cannabis frequently tend to, in general, be more stupid than the rest of the population and so Since. that's basically what you want to be careful with there's a time and a place but yeah frequent chronic use of thc containing cannabis will make you stupid basically copy that okay uh what are your thoughts on adderall good bad undecided uh considering that there are better and safer ways to do things like increase focus or decrease, you know, symptoms of ADD, et cetera, you know, nootropics, for example, or smart drugs, I, I would say bad just because of the side effects and the fact that there are better alternatives out there. Right. And, and the side, the negative side effects to the cardiovascular system. Yeah. Yeah. Primarily. Okay. Copy that. Okay. Thoughts on sunscreen, good, bad, undecided. Oh, good. If it's natural, even though you don't have to protect yourself as much from the sun as most people would have you to believe. I only wear sunscreen if there's a risk of me being burnt. Uh, or sometimes if I've done like a derma roller or facial treatment, I'll put it on the face so you don't get a lot of UVA and UVB radiation after doing some kind of like a beauty treatment or something like that. But, uh, you know, bad, bad if it's like the average sunscreen just because it has so many carcinogens in it, I don't think it's a great idea. Okay. Thoughts on masturbation, good, bad, undecided. Oh, I, I think that there's a there's a time and a place, um, you know, especially if you're just like blue ball and going crazy because you haven't had sex in a while and you just got to let off some steam. I, I think that's fine. I think that excessive masturbation can cause a lot of passivity and lack of aggression and drive, especially in males, mm -hmm. and um, can even serve as a substitute for just, you know, getting out there and and you know, meeting members of the opposite sex. And, you know, as, as a married guy, you know, I'm, I'm lucky in that I don't have to resort to masturbation too much, but you know, when I, when I travel, you know, my, my wife and I have, you know, we, we share photos with each other and, you know, also I'll sometimes masturbate, uh, to, you know, images of my wife, etc. I'm very careful though, even with that, like not to think about other women or to look at pornography just because, I think not only does pornography objectify women and there's a whole like, you know, sex slave industry related to pornography that I think is just horrific. I don't like what it does to the dopamine in the brain either. Um, and then, you know, if I think about other women, then, you know, and if they're real women and I'm with them later on, it's hard to get those thoughts out of your head and kind of like have clean and honest conversations with women if you've been thinking about them and masturbating. So I'm okay with masturbation here and there. For me, it's only... If it's, you know, using images of or thinking about my wife. Like that. I, lo I love that answer, actually. 
Uh, intermittent fasting, good, bad, undecided. Uh, it's it's good, but very lean and active individuals need to be careful with excessive intermittent fasting because you know in in guys who are working out a ton and not eating enough, it can impair testosterone. And in women, okay. it appears that even though men who are getting enough calories elsewhere in the day or who have a lot of excess fat to burn, like they can get away with, you know, decent amounts of intermittent fasting, like year round, 12 to 16 hours. And then women hear that and they try it and they get all sorts of fertility problems and amenorrhea, et cetera. So premenopausal women, 10 to 12 hours of intermittent fasting is about the sweet spot. For postmenopausal women and for men, 12 to 16 hours of intermittent fasting is fine as long as you're not um, confusing intermittent fasting with like calorie and carbohydrate deprivation, which long-term can lead to some hormonal bounce back. Good. Okay. Uh, thoughts on uh, microdosing psilocybin with either a fatamin protocol or every other day, yeah. like good, bad, undecided. I, I think it's good for the brain and for neurogenesis, as long as you understand the microdosing, the definition of that term is a subperceptual dose. I think a lot of people have like their, microdosing stash on hand and actually be kind of spinning the dials too heavily uh with psilocybin and i think that that can cause kind of similar to thc some excess neurotoxicity in very high doses frequently so just make sure you're using a subperceptual dose and not you know just tripping out every time you microdose right thoughts on protein powder vegan whole food whatever clean protein powder good bad undecided well, it, it can be a convenient way to get adequate amino acids without necessarily cooking a steak or a chicken or whatever. You gotta look at the sourcing. You know, a lot of it will have like acid sulfonylpotassium and artificial colors and all sorts of crap in it. You know, whey and even more particularly casein can cause bloating and gas and constipation. Some people, you know, consumer reports found that a lot of protein powders out there tend to be contaminated with metals like lead and cadmium as well. But like a good clean protein source that doesn't cause gastric distress and you can be convenient. I don't use protein powders myself as much as I just go straight to amino acids. I use a lot of essential amino acids because I can get like the equivalent of like an entire steak's worth of protein, but with only like 20 calories, which is kind of a hack and is easier on the gut. So I'm a bigger fan of essential amino acids than protein powders, but um, yeah, protein powders can be a convenient way to, to get protein as long as they're clean good man and then when you say amino acids are you talking about bcaas no there's only three amino acids and bcaas and like the dirty secret in the supplement industry is that you know if you want to make a lot of money sell bcaas because they're basically just like expensive flavored water and sadly there's even some evidence they might cause some glucose and some insulin issues and they certainly don't really help with muscle gain or recovery like people would have you to believe Essential amino acids have nine, not three amino acids in them. They are far more effective than BCAAs and they actually work and don't cause all the side effects of BCAAs. So yeah, it's, <laughs> excuse me, they'd be called EAAs, not BCAAs. EAAs. All right, great. Noted. Well, um, Ben, thank you so fucking much for your time today. This was a pleasure. I've been looking forward to this for a while. To all the people that are listening on Spotify, Audible, Apple Podcasts, if you're watching on YouTube, head over to bengreenfieldlife.com. Pre-order his book, Boundless Parenting. He's got articles, podcasts. He's got recommendations, coaching, speaking. You can follow all of his socials there. Um, ben, it was 
really great time chatting it up with you today. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for having me on, Zach. I appreciate it.